Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Boston Sanctuary since 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the Boston metropolitan area and beyond. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. We're located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets in downtown Boston, Massachusetts. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. We are each other's business, writes American poet Gwendolyn Brooks. We are each other's harvest. We are each other's business. We are each other's magnitude and bond. Arlington Street's David Schumann went back to art school as an adult. One day entering the cafeteria, he noticed one of the lunch ladies from behind. First, her hair, a crazy burgundy color, partly covered by a bandana. She turned. Immediately, he fell in love with her face. He went right up to her, and before he even knew her name, he said, I would love to cut your hair. Her name was Angie. She said, okay. David is a hairdresser. Later, he told me, if I were straight, I'd never have trouble getting a date. (laughs) I felt so drawn to her, he continued. When Angie had to cater a huge opening at the school, he said, I'll be there. I'll help. He's competent in the kitchen. He became Angie's saucier. And then the staff was downsized, and Angie lost her job. And then her car started falling apart. David helped Angie with her resume. She was perennially overqualified, and she's 60 years old. Her dignity was slowly eroded. David was worried. And then his father died, and he came into a significant amount of money. He knew that Angie was much too proud to accept a handout, but she agreed to clean his house, and David pushed the envelope and bought her a car. That was the deal, he said, house cleaning in exchange for a little Subaru, the newest car Angie's ever had, but still. Finally, Angie got a job running a deli with homemade soups and prepared food for takeout, good coffee, homemade ice cream, right on Main Street near the art school where she and David had met. The shop was out front attached to a sweet, quirky hobbit house where the owners lived. They wanted to sell it. Do you want it? David asked. Of course I want it, Angie replied, except it costs $475,000. She changed the subject. David's mind, made spacious by his good heart as much as by his means, leapt over the price tag and right to the possibilities. He met with the owners and their lawyers, went back and forth. And one day when Angie arrived at work, one of the owners said very casually, Come into the house with me. I need to show you something back here. Angie followed. When you live here, you'll need to know about this. Over time, the business will pay David back. He calls it a long-term investment. David Schumann has made a loyal, lifelong friend who has promised him a lifetime of free ice cream. We are each other's harvest. We are each other's business.
we are each other's magnitude and bond. I'm keen on generativity, which my computer doesn't think is a word. <laughs> Psychologist Eric Erickson coined the term in 1950, generativity, the act of being touched and moved by someone or something, refining that gift in the fire of our hearts and minds and passing it on. The giveaway is a gesture of generosity that guides the next generation and leaves things better than we found them. Like so many of you as a kid, I did my best to be sure that no one knew what was going on in my home. And I lied about it a lot, adding to my shame. Once as a young teenager, I was alone with my minister, Dana Greeley. I can't remember what we were doing. It was something about his books. But out of the blue, he asked me about one of my parents. I told him a little truth, maybe just a sentence or two. He was quiet for a single beat, and then he looked right at me. He said, well, never mind. Never mind. Those two words unshackled my shame in a flood of relief and freedom. For the first time in Dana's gaze, I looked into the mirror of compassion. It changed me forever, drove me to polish the mirror of compassion in my eyes. Generativity, pass it on. Covenant renewal here at Arlington Street, renewing our devotion to our mission of love, service, justice, peace, is about generativity. The gift of money is one path to generativity. Generosity is generativity. This is a watershed year at Arlington Street. Higher than anticipated heating costs and a colder than anticipated winter drove our heating bill $10,000 over budget. And in addition, several of our top donors have moved or are moving out of state, leaving an $18,000 gap that is ours to fill. The largest pledge came from Herb and Nancy Gleason, who gave sacrificially to this beloved community for almost 60 years. After their deaths, which came just six months apart, their children and daughter-in-law, David, Alice, and Sonia, made sure to pay their parents' final pledge in full. Now it is ours to pay it forward. Kem and I adored the Gleasons, and we take that directive very personally. Our goal today is to pick up the pledging where the Gleasons left off. We're not there quite yet, but we're well on our way. Not giving till it hurts, but giving until it feels good. We are each other's harvest. We are each other's business. We are each other's magnitude and bond. In October of 1995, a terrible fire burned over 12,000 acres and 48 homes 
along Inverness Ridge in West Marin, California, and swept down into the Point Reyes National Seashore, devouring almost everything to the ocean. In the aftermath, the San Francisco Chronicle published this letter from a resident. The fire brought out all the qualities that I've come to admire here, bravery, compassion, self-reliance, simplicity. The Red Cross set up a shelter with beds at the elementary school, but they weren't needed because everyone was taken in. We all offered our homes and others staffed radios. A local painter directed traffic for 18 hours straight. And people cooked and drove food up to the lines to the volunteer firefighters who worked 30-hour shifts. There were signs posted all over the place thanking the firefighters. Every person in town seemed to be doing whatever was possible. This is what I have come to expect from this amazing little village. So the ash fell and the fire subsided and the gallant helicopters with their surprisingly effective slung buckets of water drew off. And the cats came out from under the cabinets and the lost houses began to be counted. And it was pretty well over except for the sense of loss and fragility and having to deal with the insurance and bureaucratic nonsense. And then the cause of the total ghastly ordeal. Four teenagers, boys, 14 and 15 years old, who camped illegally up on Mount Vision one night, turned themselves in. The local newspaper, The Point Ray's Light, ran a letter from Jim Love, the firefighter who had been first on the scene, and he described how careful the boys had been trying to put out the fire. They'd buried it completely. They just hadn't known that the fire could continue to burn underground. With great care, he spelled this out. And then the private conversations began devolving into recounting the scrapes all of us were in as kids and how narrowly we had escaped harrowing consequences. Today, he continues, we met on the village green for an informal picnic to honor the Inverness volunteer firefighters and generally to congratulate ourselves. The president of the board of the fire department gave a little speech. And after he read the name of all the firefighters, he said he was going to make a little digression. He began by talking about ancient towns, building walls, and sending those who offend the town in some way beyond the pale. Then he said, four of our community are the young men whose mistakes caused the Mount Vision fire. He said he had heard that two of the families of the kids felt they would have to move away. He said he felt we should all make it clear to them that they must stay within the community. The applause was unanimous and sustained. When I talked with him later, he said that two of those whose houses had been lost came up to him and said they completely agreed with what he'd said. And one of them asked, what can we do to help? So what seems to me to be happening is that this community, he says, which has just fought so stubbornly to save itself, has turned almost without missing a beat to try to save the future of four young men. He concludes, isn't that something?
We are each other's harvest. We are each other's business. We are each other's magnitude and bond. Poet Kathy Drew says of generativity, with every thought, word, and deed, we leave something behind. We get to choose whether we leave a legacy of impossibility or possibility, denigration or celebration, of unkindness or kindness, judgments or acceptance, of struggle or grace, discouragement, encouragement, frailty or strength, tears or laughter, fear or love. If you want to leave a legacy, she writes, leave it now and every day of your life not just after you are gone. What is it in your heart to leave as a legacy in this moment? Beloved spiritual companions, friendship and ice cream, compassion, saving a town and its kids, May we be touched and moved to leave a legacy of kindness, grace, strength, love, and possibility. Let us now take up the opportunity before us with glad and grateful hearts and challenge, challenge ourselves to pass it on, generativity. We are each other's harvest. We are each other's business. We are each other's magnitude and bond. <laughs>